Looking back at life 100 years ago in Kilkenny, this is the History Show on KCLOR. With thanks to the Heritage Office of Kilkenny County Council and the Commemorations Unit of the Department of Tourism, Culture, Arts, Gaeltacht, Sport and Media. It's 13 minutes past six, it's a Tuesday evening here on KCLR and it's time once again for the History Show. I'm John Moynihan and you're very welcome along to another trip to the past as we recount the life and times of Kilkenny 100 years ago. A big thank you to everyone involved in our outside broadcast coverage of the National Ploughing Championships in Rathaneska and County Leash since 10am this morning. Emer, John and Sue will be there again tomorrow from 10am to 6pm so do be sure to pop along and say hello if you're in the area. But I'm back here at base in Studio One in Kilkenny City and I have another informative and entertaining show ahead for you. This evening, the first in a three-part series on the significant and often underappreciated role of women in the Civil War in 1922. Coming up, Anne Tierney, the President of Kilkenny Archaeological Society, profiles three women with Kilkenny links that played pivotal roles throughout the decade. Kilkenny theatre artist Ita Morrissey on her community theatre production The Untold Tales of Freedom, highlighting the role of women at the time. I'll be outlining some facts, firsts and inventions from around the world 100 years ago. And for this week's edition of It's Said in the Papers, we'll be looking back at the Kilkenny people from Saturday, May 13th, 1922. So a packed programme ahead as usual. I hope you can stay with me for it. As always, if you want to get in touch with the programme, you can text me on the KCLR text and WhatsApp line. That's on 083 306 9696. And that, of course, is in association with dinnersready.ie or you can email the programme at the history show at kclr96fm.com Our webpage is up and running so you can listen live or indeed listen back to previous episodes of the programme on the KCLR website or app Right now though we've got a break to take straight away but when we come back we'll be speaking to Anne Tierney from Kilkenny Archaeological Society Do stay tuned Turning the clock back to 1922, you're listening to The History Show on KCLR with thanks to the Heritage Office of Kilkenny County Council and the Commemorations Unit of the Department of Tourism, Culture, Arts, Gaeltacht, Sport and Media. The History Show on KCLR with John Moynihan. And you're very welcome back to the programme. To begin this evening's programme, we're going to hear from Anne Tierney. Anne is the president of the Kilkenny Archaeological Society and a wealth of information pertaining to the role of women during the War of Independence, among many other topics. Tonight, Anne is going to profile three women who were either from Kilkenny or had close connections to the county. Each of these women played crucial roles in their own right during the period of the Irish Civil War. One of them was a, a woman who wasn't born in Kilkenny. Uh, she was born in Longford. Her name was Moya Killeen, and she was born, she'd been born nearly uh, 18, 1873 in Longford, and her mother died when she was very young, and, and her, she was brought up by her, her grandparents. But she married a Roscommon man in 1890s some stage, and he was a manager and wor- working in Belfast, and, and they were both Roman Catholics, and they had a couple of children. But the the district council and poor law um, legislation came in, allowing women to sit on on those um, th- those organisations. And both Moria and her husband John were um, representatives for Granard, and this was really quite an important achievement for a woman at at that date. But 
She then moved with her family in 1905 to, to Enniscorthy and they had a public house. And John then got a job in 1911 as a commercial manager of the Kilkenny people. So they moved to Kilkenny at that stage with their young family. And they got involved, both of them, with the Gaelic League and they educated their children at home. And she was a strong supporter of women's rights. And 1913, there was the first women, uh, women's uh, Kilkenny Women's Suffrage Society meeting in the t- town hall and Moya Bly was in the chair and she was elected president. Now, the, 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 the next meeting was a year later in 1914 and again chaired by Moya Bly and there was a speaker from the Dublin-based, I think the Irish Women's Franchise League um, and Thomas, Thomas McDonough was a member of that as were the, the Sheehy Skeffingtons. Shortly after that, we have World War one beginning and and the cause of women's suffrage was put to one side and it was also seen as a bit of a distraction from home rule but at least we have evidence that work was done in Kilkenny and that Moya Bly was really at the centre of it and she she stayed active in, in things she in in 1918 we have evidence of her marching against conscription with a thousand other Kilkenny women and that's you know where we 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 came across her, if you like, um, in Kilkenny in, in 2018, four years ago. The Kilkenny Archaeological Society asked people to contribute any stories they might have of the thousand women who had marched against conscription in 1918. And Moya's grandson, John Bly, uh, contributed his grandmother's story, and um, and. It wasn't just her, but her 17-year-old daughter, Eileen, also signed the register. And, you know, he was also then able to fill in lots of things about Moya, her love of reading and her engagement with social reform and her ideas. Uh, she subscribed to newspapers. She was interested in vegetarianism and theosophy and much, much, much else. She was really interesting um, a woman, you know, middle class example of um, a a thinking woman of the time, you know. Well, the other uh, woman that that really is well known and gets into the newspapers a lot in the 1920s is Ellen Cuff, Ellen Bischofferson Cuff. And I don't know how to pronounce that properly, but she was born uh, in in 1857 in London to, to a... A German and 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 an Austrian. Uh, he was a Jewish banker, and um, when she was when she she was about her mid forties, and she married William Cuff, who was the fourth Earl of Desert from De- Cuff's Grange in Kilkenny here, and she was the second wife. But they they had no children, but they had you know a happy marriage. But he died in eighteen ninety eight. And his next eldest brother inherited the estate and title. So Ellen had to leave Desert Court, much to her regret, and she went back to her own family estate in Ascot in England. But there was a third brother then. His name was Otway Cuff, and he lived in England too, but he was very conscious that the new Earl had no male children. So he, Otway... Um, might become the Earl eventually. So Otway came to live in Shee's town in Kilkenny and he threw himself into Irish culture and industry. And he had 
really, he was full of ideas for improvements in Kilkenny, get industries going, support the re-emergence of Irish culture. And his sister-in-law, Ellen, she backed all of Otway's ideas to the hilt financially. And so a few years after Otway arrived, about 1905, um, a Kilkenny theatre was founded. Otway's idea, uh, Ellen's money. And tobacco um, was grown in Talbot's Inch. And a woolen factory was established there, Talbot's Inch, just on the outskirts of Kilkenny. And she built a garden village there and a suspension bridge that people still talk about. And the houses were built with the highest quality craftsmanship in, in the style of, of William Morris's um, arts and crafts movement. And they're, they're still there to this day. And then in 1910, she, she provided a site and paid for the furnishings of, of a public library at John's Key in Kilkenny. And, you know, she was so appreciated by Kilkenny County Council and the people she was given the freedom of the city at that time. But her political views were, were, were typical of her class at the time. She, she opposed the National Insurance Bill when it was introduced in 1911 because she believed servants should be cared for by their employers. And, and for that reason, she wouldn't collect the, the tax um, from Kilkenny woodworkers. So the state seized one of her horses as a fine. Then that that year, the following year, Otway Cuff died, 1912, I think, and um, she she settled in Talbot's Inch at that stage and built a beautiful house for herself. And um, she became president of the Gaelic League and taking over his work there. And she was very generous to the Gaelic League for many years. She gave money for prizes and for musical instruments and, and whatever was needed. But that same time, she was also speaking against women's suffrage. She felt women should not compete with men. She presided over a meeting in Dublin of the National League for opposing women's suffrage. She was horrified at the militant suffragists, you know, the people like Emmeline Pankhurst who changed themselves to railings in, in London. She thought that the age of chivalry was lost, or would be lost if, if, if women's suffrage was achieved. But she continued her work in Kilkenny. She funded Desert Hall and the Even Hospital, both still still there. And she, she was just an extraordinary woman. She was a committed and practicing Jew, a, a member of a London synagogue. And she served on the committees of, of several Jewish charities as well. She was a cattle breeder and president of the Irish Dairy Shorthorn Association and active, extremely active in the Society for the Prevention of Cruelty for Children because there was no social welfare. So if a family had one parent died on them, the, the other had to go out to work and they needed, lots of people needed support. So in 1922, she was appointed by William Cosgrove. He was the first president of the Executive Council, the equivalent of the Taoiseach then, and our Taoiseach now. And she was to be a member of the Senate. And she was a loyalist who believed in the, in the union with Britain. But Cosgrave felt it was important that all political sides should be represented in, in, the, in the new Irish Parliament and all religions as well. And but she was still only one of four women, you know, so women didn't get 50 percent of the seats or anything at all. They were lucky to, to, to get a seat uh, in, the, in the Senate. And she attended regularly. She was appointed for, I think, 15 years and she attended 
regularly until her death in, in 1933 and took a flat in Dublin. But she, she seldom spoke, uh, uh, but she was a, a, a generous supporter of the government and, um, and you know, she, 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 she was uh, represented, represented Kilkenny as well. So she died then in 1930, 1933, and she was buried in, in Falmouth in England beside her, her husband, whose grave she'd, she'd visited every year. Uh, so I think, you know, she's very well known in Kilkenny. We've named the, the new bridge after her. And the pedestrian bridge, and um, yeah, she's 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 another remarkable woman. But yet there is one other woman I'd like to to talk about. This is a woman whose daughter published a book about her. Um, she wasn't involved in law in the Mans. She wasn't involved in suffrage, and she, you know she wasn't involved in politics at all. But she was a a woman. She was born in 1883, and. Um, so she 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 would have been 38, you know, in, in 1922. But she was born to, to her father was a John Sinnott of Kenny's Well here in the city and her, her, her mother, Joanna Whelan. And her, her father um, owned a Jarvie car. So he, he would have been off at the station collecting passengers from the train and, you know, delivering them wherever they wanted to go. And the mother was a seamstress. But he got it, John the father got it into his head that he'd like to go to America. And he had two young daughters by then. So the family set off for America. But halfway across the Atlantic, he changed his mind. And I think he regretted it. But they went to, to, to Chicago for, um, for, for two years and they stayed there. And then they came back. And he then became a bacon curer and worked in what was until recently uh, Doors Butchers at the, at the end of High Street. And he, um, you know, he died in, in about 1908, which is the same year that his daughter, Kate Sinnott, who I want to talk about, married a man called Jim Lukeman. And Jim was a tailor and cutter, and he was employed at St. Canice's Asylum. And within a very short time, they had three sons, and then their daughter, Mary, was born in 1912. And uh, she's the woman who wrote, wrote the book um, and talks about her mother. But life was tough for 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 people. Um, he 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 was a tailor, but within a couple of years he he got TB. He got a cough, and it was diagnosed with TB. There was nothing that that could be done for it. In, by 1915, he had to come out of work on a small pension. Uh, they lived in a, a small house in in town here. There was. No electricity, a washing machine, no flush toilet, just one fire in the kitchen. There was scarcity of bedclothes. They used coats instead. Uh, Kate took in washing to, to help feed the family and the clothes were scrubbed using a, a washboard in a bath in the kitchen. And the children hated coming home from school to wet clothes everywhere. But there were schools and it was there was good times and it's the good times they remember too. Um, you know, the plum pudding she made at Christmas and a pot hung over the open fire and, you know, the cast-off clothes that came from her sister-in-law in, in London for the children. And the kids went barefoot in summer and they loved it. And she brought them, the mother brought them to plays like Hamlet and the Merchant of Venice. And she read poems to them and told ghost stories. And, and she, you know, she attended the missions herself. You know, the, one week for the women, one week for the men with long queues of confession and thundering sermons focused on the, the sins against the Sixth Commandment. Her, her husband did die, you know, shortly after that, um, she she had to. She was so short of money. She she 
she let out her front room and and another ta- tailor came to live in it. He, he, he was um, a widower with, um, with grown-up children and he came to, to use her room and within a couple of years that they had married. But after his death, even though he was a hard worker and he grew vegetables in the garden and they had hens like everyone else in the street, it was hard to make men's ends meet, you know, that um, tailoring was going out, uh, out of fashion a bit and there were some weeks that he wouldn't even get a, a suit to make and so they'd have to go down to Keith's and John Street and ask for the groceries and, and take like many other people at the time. She didn't have good health and she, she, she but she lived on in Kilkenny for, for a further 30 years you know. Looking back now you know at those three women and about what women felt they had achieved in 1922 it, it seems to have been a bit of a, a watershed moment. It, it looked as if women had achieved something but now it seems that the role of women was really airbrushed out after 1922. 1922 was a was a false dawn. So very soon after that, the the, the new free state government that had had given the vote um, were starting to encourage women to stay at home. And it wasn't they weren't unique. It wasn't that government. I shouldn't say that that party or even Ireland. It was other countries in Europe were as well. And so women were were discouraged very shortly from sitting on juries and. They weren't allowed to apply very soon for senior jobs in the civil service. And then in 1932, with the, the new Fianna Fáil government, the marriage bar was introduced, preventing married women from working in the public sector at all. And that went on for 20 years. And by 1935, contraception was illegal. 1937, divorce banned. So it wasn't until the 1970s that all these changes were abolished. But that's a different story. Anne Tierney there, President of Kilkenny Archaeological Society, highlighting the role of three women from the locality who played important roles during the period of the Irish Civil War. Anne will be back with us again next week, telling us the story of the Kilkenny women who marched to oppose conscription in 1918, so do tune in for that. Right now, though, it's time for another commercial break, but don't go away, because when we come back, I'll have some of the important and uh, (laughs) not-so-important facts from around the world in 1922. Don't go away. The History Show on KCLOR. With thanks to the Heritage Office of Kilkenny County Council and the Commemorations Unit of the Department of Tourism, Culture, Arts, Gaeltox, Sport and Media. Tuesday nights from 6. This is KCLOR's History Show. And you're welcome back to part three of the History Show. Now, we've heard of plenty of local and national facts, figures and firsts on the programme over the past few weeks. But let's now turn our lens to facts from around the world. I've been trawling through the history books and I've produced some of the important and perhaps less important historical facts and advancements from 1922. Aside from the Civil War in Ireland, One of the other big world events in 1922 was the abolishment of the Ottoman Empire and the abdication of its last Sultan, Mehmed VI. It was the year that the Union of Soviet Socialist Republics, the USSR, was created. Mussolini and the Fascist Party came to power in Italy in 1922. Mahatma Gandhi was arrested, tried for sedition and sentenced to six years imprisonment. America's first aircraft carrier, the USS Langley, was commissioned this year. Influential world musical artists included Fats Waller, Fanny Bryce, Al Jolson, Marion Harris and Ethel Waters. 
The movies to watch in 1922 included Nosferatu, Dr. Mabuse, The Gambler, Foolish Wives and Nanook of the North. The most famous person in America was probably the American professional baseball player Babe Ruth. The top 10 baby girls names in 1922 were Mary, Dorothy, Helen, Margaret, Ruth, Betty, Virginia, Mildred, Elizabeth and Josephine, while the top 10 baby boys names were John, Robert, William, James, Charles, George, Joseph, Edward, Richard and Frank. The average life expectancy in Ireland in 1922 was 58 years of age for males, while for females it was 61 years of age. Now to firsts, inventions and wonders of 1922. In Germany it was the year that jelly babies were created. In Britain, the British Broadcasting Corporation, the BBC, began broadcasting. The first ever 3D movie was The Power of Love, a silent film released that year. It was also the first film to have an alternative ending and the viewer could choose between the happy and the sad endings, both of which were shot in 2D by closing one eye or the other. No copies of the film exist today. The term the Jazz Age was coined by F. Scott Fitzgerald in 1922, the same year that The Great Gatsby is based. In the 1897 novel by Bram Stoker, sunlight isn't fatal to Dracula, but it instead only drained most of his powers. It wasn't until the 1922 film Nosferatu that sunlight was first depicted as being deadly to vampires. The first woman to serve in the US Senate was Rebecca Latimer Felton in 1922. She was 87 and served for only one day. She championed prison reform, women's rights and education. She was the last member of Congress to have owned slaves. The discovery of Tutankhamun's tomb in 1922 influenced the Art Deco design style and repopularized the use of eyeliner in the West. The hottest day and place ever recorded on Earth was recorded on September 13, 1922 in El Aziza, Libya, although this record was reversed in 2012, with meteorological historians arguing that a record set in 1913 in Death Valley was the true record, with questions being asked as to the authenticity of Libya's 1922 record. All telephone services in the USA, Canada and Europe were silenced for one minute on August 4th, 1922 to mark the funeral of Alexander Graham Bell. Charles Osborne had hiccups for 68 years from 1922 to 1990 and was entered in the Guinness World Records as the man with the longest attack of hiccups, an estimated 430 million of them. Wimbledon Centre Court was completed this year. Niels Bohr won the Nobel Prize and was given a house by Carlsberg Brewery. The house was located next to the brewery and it had a direct pipeline to the brewery so that Bohr had free beer on tap whenever he wanted. And finally, one of the world's then longest running Broadway plays began its run and it was Irish. AB's Irish Rose opened on May 23rd 1922 and closed on October 1st 1927. We'll have more facts from 1922 very soon on The History Show. Now to something different altogether. The Untold Tales of Freedom is an upcoming community theatre production by Kilkenny-based theatre artist Ita Morrissey. The play tells the story of the typical everyday people from Kilkenny during the period of the Irish Civil War, with a particular emphasis being placed on the role of women at the time. I spoke to Ita, Ita earlier this week. First of all, Ita, 
Can you tell us a little bit more about the Untold Tales of Freedom? I'm, I'm creating a project, a community-engaged project um, called the Untold Tales of Freedom. And in that, I'm engaging with people of Kilkenny on a creative journey, a creative process where we're looking at what it was like for people in 1922. During the time, um, as we as we know, there was civil unrest and civil um war happening and I was really interested in what it was like for the everyday person, how it was impacting their lives and what was the freedoms, the personal freedoms that they were up against. And um, specifically, I was interested in the approach or the perspective of women during this time. Because as we know, um, whatever has been written um, in history books, it's it's really with um, a lot of the male perspective. And as an artist, um, I feel as though my job is to bring light to other aspects of um, what's what's been happening in the world. Can you tell us a bit more about the play itself and the protagonists that we follow? Yeah, the project really is, the outcome of the project is um, a performance, an intimate performance of six monologues at Roth House. But the process really began um, when I invited people um, from Kilkenny um, to get involved in a creative writing um, workshops where we gathered information whether it was um, stuff we had found in books, um, whether it was stuff from film, but most specifically, it was actually the the stories that were coming from people um, that they knew about their grandmothers, and we gathered all this these little gems. It was it was really hard to mine and to find, you know, big details, but we began to really. Um, find little gems of of details of what it was like for for women back back then um and from there we went through a a journey of creating um using artistic license and reimagining what it was like for women um during this time and so everything is based and inspired um by little nuggets of truth and then grown um to create a much more dramatic and intimate portrayal of of the life of a woman during this time. Um, so we get, it's a, it's a fun process. And as an artist, um, I invite people to kind of reimagine and using um, empathy and different exercises, we get to have fun with, with creating something new, um, but we also get to feel what it was like for people back then. Through a series of six writing workshops, um, we've created six monologues um, of which then there's been um, local um, actors that have come on board to perform these beautiful pieces, intimate um, personal stories and challenges and the freedoms that they were up against. And what, what we got to see was how they really mirror what's actually happening right now in terms of a personal um our personal challenges in life um so and and we're going to be staging it in Roth house which is such a stunning historical setting um and you know kilkenny is so lucky to have and have it in such um pristine um upkeep what inspired you to undertake this project Ita? i guess 
I'm as an artist currently, I'm really interested in um, what freedom means. And and because, you know, with the centenary of 1922, it brought up that like the freedom of what the country was fighting for back then and and the freedoms that we fight for right now in our everyday or um and also as as a result of how um during the covid times do you know a lot of um a lot of restrictions were placed you know um for our safety and and for the well-being of everybody and i'm really interested in finding out what the personal stories are of history not just the facts but what the journey is for the individual what background research did you undertake in preparation for this project? So I spoke to a lot of people um, and I, I, that was actually the the most enriching experience was actually just connecting with people um, and asking them if they knew of anything. Um, did they have neighbours or did they hear of stories of their grandmother? Um, I obviously went to the, the library and the staff there, Nuala Roach, was able to... Um, be very helpful with with loads of books and also um there was a project um that open circle was involved in and they they inspired some of the work as well with their um their they did a tapestry um that of around what was happening in 1922 as well um so but really it was um we just took gems of what we could find because it felt like we were really kind of mining mining for gold um during during this like and we had a book um that was that had i don't know maybe over 100 pictures of women that were um influential during during um the civil war and the war of independence and we used them also to inspire um, the stories of, of these women as we were creating them. So taking um, information from maybe people that were based in Dublin or Clomel or Carlo and, and infusing them and weaving some of their stories in um, to these women's. Did you enjoy the research and do you feel as though you learned a lot? I actually, yeah, because um, the... You know, I'm not a history buff <laughs> at all, but I love learning about what it was like for people. So having, um, yeah, yeah, I really, I really loved hearing the stories. So I, I'd, when I would be speaking with people um, and just getting the little nuggets, like whether it was, um, there's one that, um, there's one monologue that's inspired actually by a little mug that it's a tiny little mug of when she was, um, when she was eight years old, at, around this time, she was brought into town and and bought this mug. And um, her, well, her mother did. And so it's it's really in the personal that I'm interested in. Sometimes, sometimes the dates and the and the facts um, just they just inspire me to then find out what the reaction or, or what impact they had on the personal. Do you think it's important for theatre artists such as yourself and indeed for all of the artists to bring history like this to modern day audiences? I think it's always interesting, right, that, um, you know, the arts for me or the way that I engage with with art is really in a collaboration. I would be an, an artist that is all about social participation and using creative means to 
look at the way that we're living. And sometimes that means we need to look backwards. We need to go, hey, what was happening back then? And really the impact that it has, not only for the people then, but how it, it has impacted our lives today. And um, I think, you know, any creative means is a fun and um, is a fun way to actually to do that and to throw a lens up or a mirror up to what's actually happening. Um, and, and it's all, for me, it's really about connection, creativity, and it's in the coming together that, that we can not only create something that's beautiful and, and um, interesting and entertaining, but there's something much more rich around it because we've come together and we've gone through a process of telling a story, creating something. And when, when I feel that when a human being is in that creative mode, you don't need to be artistic. You don't need to be any of those things. We, are, we actually are innately all creative. We are all artistic. And I love to provide that kind of space to welcome in everybody to go through that process. Because when you do, you engage your spirit and you feel like... Um, you feel alive, you feel excited, and um, and yeah, you're creating, you're creating something, and that's what you know we're here to do in whatever expression that comes in. It could be creating, um, you know, a lovely loaf of bread, or it could be creating, you know, a monologue. But I really like um, my my approach to things is getting people also outside their comfort zone when we are challenged in a safe way and where I bring people along the journey is yeah most people haven't written a monologue they wouldn't you know would never never have done something like this and in my previous projects you know getting people to perform to act to be on stage in front of 300 people um, they would never have thought they could do it but with the right environment they're willing to come outside their comfort zones and try something and it's it's a very freeing experience and um we come alive Isa Morrissey there theatre artist from Kilkenny and a big thank you to her for speaking to me here on the History Show The Untold Tales of Freedom will be performed at Roth House on Parliament Street on Friday September 30th and Saturday October 1st at 7pm and on Sunday October 2nd at 3pm The piece will move through Roth House so attendance will be limited so do book tickets early to avoid any disappointment Tickets are available online at untoldtalesoffreedom.eventbrite.com They're only €5 and for any further questions that you might have, you can contact Ida on 089 612 4203. It's time for our last break of the evening. I'll be back with you shortly. Exploring the lives and events of 100 years ago in Kilkenny. The History Show on KCLR. With thanks to the Heritage Office of Kilkenny County Council and the Commemorations Unit of the Department of Tourism, Culture, Arts, Gaeltacht, Sport and Media. Kilkenny, 100 years on. KCLR. The History Show with John Moynihan. And you're welcome back to the final part of tonight's History Show here on KCLR. It's time for It's Said in the Papers. Tonight we're headed back to the month of May 1922. The Kilkenny People, Saturday, May 13th, 1922. Pictures taken after the Battle of Kilkenny on May 2nd and 3rd adorned the second page of the paper. The paper acknowledges that pictures aren't often printed in it. But such was the enormity of the occasion that no less than three are printed to highlight this moment in local history. 
Mr. T.J. Moran was the photographer at Kilkenny Castle, and his pictures depict the damage done to the main entrance in the aftermath of the attacks. A picture of St. Canis's Round Tower is also printed, with the following caption. St. Canis's Round Tower has witnessed many strange and exciting scenes during the more than 1,000 years of its existence, but never a stranger scene than that of which it was centre last week. A picture taken at the foot of the tower shows a group of the Dahl forces after the surrender of the tower. Dean Thomas Winder is amongst the party. The jolly-looking sodnet on his left is strumming the mandolin. The third and final picture depicts the prisoners in Kilkenny IRA barracks, which the paper reports were released on the evening of Saturday, May the 6th. The release of the prisoners is also front-page news for the paper. The story reports that the prisoners marched four deep from the military barracks to the town hall, where they were welcomed by a large gathering of their family and friends. In other big local news in the newspaper, the problem of housing in Kilkenny city and county is highlighted. At the weekly meeting of the Kilkenny Urban Council on the previous Tuesday evening, the mayor residing, in reference to the striking of a special housing rate, read a letter from the Minister for Local Housing that stated that the decision to extend the time within which rates should normally be made to the current financial year was a very welcome one. Kilkenny Cinema have a large spread in the paper, outlining the films hitting the big screen over the coming week. This week, The Love Expert, starring Constance Talmadge, is the big flick. It's described as a brilliant six-reel comedy. Something to think about is also showing, a super production that explores the depths of human experience set in a riot of beauty and experience. This film stars Gloria Swanson and Elliot Dexter. It's a film so long, it takes an incredible seven reels of film to show in its totality. And finally, a half-page advert on page 10 of the paper recommends that for efficient eyesight service, patrons should consult Mr. J.A. Delahunty Opticians on 48 High Street, Kilkenny. Mr. Delahunty's practice is located over Keane's Drugstore and is in operation every Wednesday, Friday and Saturday. Mr. Delahunty also does outcalls across Carlow and Kilkenny, including in Callan on the first and third Tuesday of every month at Callanance Hotel, in Bagnallstown on the third Thursday of every month at Ward's Hotel, and in Boris on the third Monday of every month at Kennedy's Hotel. And that's just about it for this evening's episode of The History Show. Thanks for tuning in and I hope you'll join me again at the same time next week. As always, feel free to contact the show at any time at The History Show at kclr96fm.com. Stay tuned for Fully Loaded with Owen Carey. But for me, John Moynihan, thank you once again for inviting me into your homes. Until next Tuesday night, it's good night and God bless. Turning the clock back to 1922, you're listening to The History Show on KCLR. With thanks to the Heritage Office of Kilkenny County Council and the Commemorations Unit of the Department of Tourism, Culture, Arts, Gaeltacht, Sport and Media.